Now, to correct this, God starts at the bottom, of course, through a covenant, and then with Moses, and he, he localizes his presence in the tabernacle, a tent that would travel with God's people, his presence with them again. And then he localizes his presence from that tabernacle here, 1 Kings 8, on a hill in the temple. And then through the work of his son, he localizes his presence now in every believer. You are the living temple of God because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And one day, finally, fully, when Christ comes again and purifies the whole world, his presence will be with us fully dwelling. Now, in 1 Kings 8, the the climax here, uh, I think of Jewish history, that God would permanently now dwell with his people, and his presence would move, and that's what we see here. It's moving day. His presence is going to move from the tent to dwell in the very center of the city in the temple. But God's work of, again, dwelling with his people, it, it was really just beginning. And I want you to notice there is one response to God's presence dwelling in Israel in a greater way. They worship. They, they, they sing and they sacrifice for their sins and they praise Him with all their heart. They, they were experiencing the presence of God in a greater way than they had known and their response is they literally launch as a people in proclaiming worship to Him. Abraham Kuyper says this, The whole man's life is to be lived as in the divine presence, right? The the whole of your life is to be lived as if you are in the divine presence. And so as a Christian, we live by faith, right? We're, We're saved by faith. And that faith grows by exercise, right? It grows by exercise. And the greatest exercise of your faith is worship, is worship. Not not just a one-hour period, but now you are the living temple of God. And in the same way that they responded to the presence of God there being with them in worship, so the believer, we we don't go to a building for one hour a week and say, that's my worship time. That was left at the temple. Because Christ now dwells in you, you are his temple, and therefore all of life is worship, privately and publicly. So the presence of God has moved (laughs) from being localized in a tent to a building to now in your life. So here's our main idea today, that... Because you are the temple of the living God, all of life is to be lived as if you are in his presence. Because you are. Because he dwells in you. Okay, let's look at this in three ways. The first is this. The ark is raised. And we're just going to follow the story. Look in your Bibles with me at verse 1. The ark is raised. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel, before King Solomon in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Stop there. So in the seventh month, at the end of an annual feast called the Feast of Tabernacles, which is fitting, right? 
all the elders, all the heads of the 12 tribes, they, they come to Jerusalem for this move-in celebration. The temple and the king's palace, after years of labor, they're, they're finished. And now, instead of calling everybody to come, which they couldn't do, they're too numerous, numerous, they call the heads of the tribes to come. So they come and they gather. Now, look what they do. Verse 4. Notice what they do. And they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meetings, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. So the priests, they take apart the tabernacle, which had been with them for over 400 years. And they take it apart, and in Jerusalem, called Zion, the city of David, they, the great transfer begins. They deconstruct the tabernacle, the tent, and they bring all the elements of worship, everything that they had been traveling with, including the ark, up into the temple in the city of David. So the body of the tabernacle is divided. It's destroyed in one sense. It's torn apart. It then ascends to the throne room of God in the temple, and then it's put back together in one sense. Now, I'm going to tell you Jesus is the reality of that. What do you mean? What we see here is a prophetic picture of Christ and his death and what I think is the extension. Okay, explain that, Rusty. Let me go back to Luke 24. Luke 24. On the road of Emmaus, after Jesus' death and before his ascension, he's meeting with his disciples. And this is what he says in verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Notice what he does before his ascension. He unpacks the scripture for them, starting with Moses, the Torah, the first five books of the scripture, and how all the way through it's about me, all the way to the prophets. He's telling them, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. And he's setting the foundation for the gospel, isn't he? Okay, Rusty, what about the temple? What about the temple? Well, John 2. Jesus goes into the temple to cleanse it. He overturns the tables. He drives out those that are making an unsavory profit there off of worship. And the Jews say to him, look, if you're going to come in here and destroy things, what gives you the authority? This is what Jesus says. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was speaking about his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered and believed the scriptures. My friends, Jesus often identified himself with the temple. Why? Yes, because he is the reality that temple worship was pointing to, God's presence with his people. But even more, as God, it was his presence that he dwelt with his people in the tabernacle, then in the temple, and now he's dwelling with his people in bodily form. He tabernacled in body. So here, in the most important event, I think, in the history of the kings, we see God's pattern of the ascension of Christ. The tabernacle below is very much destroyed. It's very much 
taken apart and it ascends to worship. And where does it enter? It enters into the temple. The ark, the very presence of God, comes into the glory of God, the temple. That is the ascension. That is Christ. And it is a picture of what's coming with the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you might be saying, what are you talking about? Or you might be saying, wow. <laughs> I hope you're saying, glory to God. Long ago, there ruled in Persia a wise and good king. And he loved his people and he, he wanted uh, to, to know them and know their heart. And so periodically he would dress up or in old clothes and he would go around and spend time with his people just to get to know them. And one time he found a man in a cellar, this king of Persia, and he goes in and he eats with the man, he eats his coarse food, he gets to know him, he spends time with him, and the man impacted him so much that he did something he hadn't done before. He actually comes back soon afterwards and tells the man who he is, and he says this, I am your king. Now the king thought the man would surely ask something, oh, if you're my king, then make me rich, we're buddies, right? Instead, he said, you left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark, dreary place. You ate the coarse food that I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others, you've given your riches. To me, you've given something far greater, yourself. My friends, if man's greatest need had been riches, God would have provided us riches. If what man needed most was technology, then God would have given us a book full of technology. But the greatest need again of man was for God to dwell with us. His presence in our lives, and he accomplished that through the work of Christ to forgive us, to wash us, and then to tabernacle or dwell in you. Let's go to point two. Because you are the temple of the living God, all of life is to be lived as if you are in the presence. Let's move from the ark ascending to the presence of God coming down. Look at with me in your Bibles to verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This is a consecration service. It's where the temple is being set apart for God to dwell with his people. But this is not the first time that this has happened. If you think back to Exodus 40, Moses finishes the the tabernacle where God's presence would dwell And when he finishes, the glory and the cloud of God would come down and dwell there in such a way that he too had to back out and could not dwell or be in the presence of God in the tabernacle. And notice here, the priest had to postpone the service, right? They had to leave because not just the cloud was there, but the glory of God had come down and was there. And so... This would now be the dwelling place for God with man. Okay, Rusty, so 
Why the cloud and the glory? I, I, don't, I don't get that. Two words. Reveal and conceal. God was revealing my presence is going to be with you. My glory is going to be with you. But there's a problem, and that's our sinful hearts. And so the cloud conceals. The cloud keeps the glory and the holiness of God from us in many ways. So what you see is revealing, I'm with you, but at the same time there's a loving concealing of the glory of God and the presence of God. Now notice, it, this didn't just go on for months. At some point, God withdrew his presence in this particular way, and he need to see what's left. Verse 9, look what's left. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Mount Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. Now to me, that's striking. The cloud and the glory are gone, and what is left for his people, his will, the Ten Commandments, left in the ark for the people of God to live by. Now that says a lot. What is at the center of the temple, the center of God's will, is his commandments. Now often we, we talk about God's will for our lives a lot, and we can have a lot of uncertainty, can't we, about does God want me to do X or does God want me to do Y? And I was just recently talking to a young pastor friend of mine, and he said, Rusty, I'm having huge difficulty with this deacon in, in my church. And he's like, we're having such massive conflict that I'm doubting, and my wife is doubting, should I still be in ministry? Should, should I go back to being a banker? W what should I do? Ministry work is hard. Church work is hard. Is every church like this? I said, yes, every church is like that. No, of course not. And, and when the glory and cloud in the temple was no more, what was left to guide our life and know God's will was the Ten Commandments. So often we walk through life and we're wondering, sometimes with great confusion, should my daughter go to Auburn or should she go to Alabama? Some would say there's no confusion there. Should she be homeschooled? Should she go to Christian school or should she go to public school? And often these things can be clouded. But what is absolutely and abundantly clear is not should we go to the left or the right, which he does lead us in, but how we should live this life as his followers. That's what he's left us in stone. Have no other God before me. Have no idol in your life that you worship before me. Don't let anything be an idol. Keep my Sabbath for rest and worship for you. Honor your parents. Don't covet and have a lustful heart for anything. Don't lie, but be a people of the truth. Don't steal, don't take, trust in me, I'll provide, and so on and so on. So there are many things that are kept in the cloud. But for his children, God has made abundantly clear, this is how you should live and honor me. And living according to his will is the abundant life. It's how we experience more of his grace. And we'll talk about that in a second. Let's go to the third thing. The third thing is this. Notice finally the response of worship. And you're going to have to change books. Second Chronicles 5. So it's the same story, but it's told with a little more detail. 2 Chronicles 5.12. Would you turn there with me? That's just a few books over. Just keep flipping a few, and you'll be there. And 
maybe give me a hand or a shout or a hoot when you're there. Okay, I see a fist bump. Yeah. Okay, Second Chronicles 5.12. And all the Levitical singers, Asa, Heman, Gedathan, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, lyres, stood at the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeteers. And it was the duty of the trumpeteers and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments and praise to the Lord, it was this. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled then with the cloud. Powerful worship. What's the response of God's people to his presence in front of them? Powerful worship. Cymbals, harps, lyres, 120 priests on the trumpets in unison, singing the words of Psalm 136. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever in unison. And then glory. And then glory. Worship and then glory. Notice, they sacrificed offerings for their sins. They began to worship. And then the presence of God came down upon them. Worship is where you and I experience the presence and power of God in our lives. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. Faith grows by exercise. And the greatest exercise of your faith is worship. Worship is where you behold with eyes of faith the greatness and the glory of your Savior. And then where he gives you the grace to fight the spiritual war and battle that we are in, in our own hearts and in our culture. And the pattern's always the same. Sacrifice, response, grace. The same then, the same now. We come to the Father through the sacrifices, so your worship begins there. Father, I come to you now and worship, not on my own merits, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for me. He is my righteousness. He is my holiness. I cling to that, and that's the only way I come sacrifice. Second is worship. Now my heart is going to respond to who you are. The the trumpets in my heart are going to play and sing to your greatness. Worship. And last is grace. As you worship, coming in the name of Jesus Christ, he gives you grace. Now we'll talk a little bit about that. There's a famous and horrible picture of Nero, emperor of Rome. You you probably know this picture. And he's fiddling on top of a hill, and they're having this opulent party on a hill. And below, the city of Rome is burning. Nero is fiddling and eating and partying, and his people in the city, in the culture, are burning. This is often how Christians are. We refuse sometimes to recognize the spiritual war that our culture is actually in. Sometimes we we live on a hilltop eating and drinking and doing nothing. And what then do you do during these times 
when literally our culture is burning. And I'll tell you where the start. I can't tell you where the finish, where the Lord might lead you, but I can tell you where the start. You are the temple of the living God. You are, Christian. And when Christ died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn so that the Holy Spirit could dwell in you. He dwells in every believer. You are his temple. And therefore, it's not just a one-hour time a week that we worship. All of your life must be lived as a response to his presence dwelling in you. Two things. That looks like public life, and that looks like private life. Public life. I want to encourage you to live his will in your everyday life. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself in everything you do. Keeping your eyes and hands open to the ways that he is showing and using you for his greatness. In other words, what I'm saying is, as Christians, we live all of our life as if we are in the presence of God. And we worship him in all of our life. We don't, that doesn't necessarily mean we walk around like this. <laughs> but you can if you want to. But it's how you respond. It's how you do things that you're honoring and worshiping him. That's public life. Second is private life. And we'll finish here. Sacrifice, response, grace. The most important part of your day is your personal worship. And I don't just mean, yeah, I've had my Devo, I've, I've read that. But in your devotionals, or however you do it, are you worshiping? The goal of devotional time is to worship, is to praise and adore God. The most important time then in your week is coming together corporately and worshiping. And not just coming and sitting and thinking about the game, but engaging your heart and your mind in worship. And the pattern is come to the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. Respond then in worship. And through his worship, we experience his presence in a greater way. God's heart is to dwell with us. It has been since the fall. He started that in the covenant through the tabernacle and a tent that moved. He then moved into a fixed position to be at the center of God's people. Christ came down in flesh and his Holy Spirit, through his death and resurrection and ascension, has made a way that now he tabernacles with you. And he's coming again to dwell with his people in a full sense. And he will cleanse the world and judge the world of sin and unrighteousness. And then he will come. Father, I thank you so much. Thank you for your heart to dwell with your children. Your heart to reconcile people to yourself. I just praise you, Lord, that we're, we're all sinful. And yet you've not just cast us off. Thank you that you are a father and you long to dwell in closer and closer intimacy with your people. And you do that pointing towards the work of Christ. And he will come down again and the Savior will dwell with us in the new Jerusalem here on earth for all eternity. God, and we long for that. But Father, we thank you now in this life we are your temple. And we want to honor and glorify you and how we do everything, all of life lived in response to you. And lastly, Lord, I pray that our worship would be rich, responsive, engaging, and we would experience the goodness, the 
presence, the power, the glory of God in our everyday worship and in our corporate worship. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.